New Harlem records two albums in the one year, and at the end of 1982, another long-standing member leaves. You're listening to episode 6 of the podcast, Who Walks In? The story of the New Harlem Jazz Band. My name's Bill Morris. On Saturday the 12th of April 1980, the band held another of their special nights at the Abbey, this time to celebrate the band's 12th birthday. The first bracket of the night included a set of seven Duke Ellington tunes, including a new one recently added to the band's repertoire. This next one's a song that Duke Ellington wrote back in the early 1920s. The late 1920s, beautiful piece entitled Flaming Youth.
festivities included a new Harlem This Is Your Life segment, hosted by ABC radio announcer Ralph Rickman. Ralph was a particularly good sport and did a great job with a very corny script prepared by members of the band who shall remain nameless. Thank you, Sandra. Today, New Harlem is a household word like uh, carpet. Their sound has been heard across the width of the land. They have been on the road many times, unfortunately not always on the same road. On one tour, half the band went to Eagle Hawk, the other half went to Bacchus Marsh. Unfortunately, the job was at Eagle Hawk. Swing is the operative word with this band. They have played across the political spectrum, from Don Chip to the young socialist workers. The highlight of the political appearance was that David and Goliath episode of the Melbourne Town Hall. Bob Gilbert accepted the thunderous applause of the Town Hall audience for his clarinet solo, unaware that Gough Whitlam had entered at stage right. Bob never voted Labour again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, New Harlem is one of the finest bands in the country today, and we salute them on their 12th birthday. <laughs> There, their undoubted talent has enabled them to close many of the best venues in Melbourne. The Sunbury Festival, the Botanical and Imperial Hotels, and they spring readily to mind. Peter Gordian has hired them to close the Abbey, but today it has beaten time. Despite their efforts, it continues to be a success. We all know that New Harlem is not just another jazz band. What is it? It's a 12-year-old that makes too much noise. New Harlem, this is your life! The big crowd included a number of ex-members who joined the band in the final blow for the night, while a huge cake was wheeled out from which leapt Alan Stott.
By the end of 1980, Richard Opat had rejoined the band. Late in the year, the band made another trip to Tasmania, which included an afternoon gig at a packed hotel in Hobart, called, we think, The Lazy Dog. It doesn't seem to exist anymore, but someone recorded the shenanigans, including this version of Armstrong's That Rhythm Man. In summertime in the 80s, there were regular events held in Melbourne's gardens, which were known as Free Entertainment in the Parks, or FEEP. On Sunday, January the 11th, 1981, a FEEP concert was held at the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl that featured Australian jazz legends, Graham Bell's jazz band, and Bob Bernard and his band. New Harlem were also on the bill. Heard here playing New Orleans Stomp. Mm-hmm. 
Chris Farley sang about the fortunes of the rich Maharaja. And he never learned how to do the rumba And on the day he went away You can hear all the people say Ah He's a rich Maharaja of Magadar He had 10,000 camels and maybe more He had rubies and pearls and the best dancing girls But he never learned Sandro's good friend Pat Miller, depping for Bob Gilbert that day, featured on sax on Louis Armstrong's Lazy Sippy Steamer.
Early in 1981, Alan Leake, leader of Melbourne band The Storyville Jasmine, asked New Harlem to join his band in a concert to celebrate Duke Ellington's music. The two bands worked together on a program that spanned the Duke's long career. New Harlem's contribution concentrated on his earlier work, particularly at the Cotton Club. The concert took place at Melbourne Hall at Melbourne University on Sunday, May 24th. ABC radio presenter Ralph Rickman was the compere. I said earlier, um, in passing, I mentioned the, the famous Cotton Club in Harlem, where a lot of this music was first heard. Now, in the early days, they had songwriting teams who wrote a couple of new shows each year. Uh, and back in uh, about 1926 or so, the uh, songwriting team was Dorothy Fields and Jimmy McHugh. And the band who was uh, installed at the Cotton Club at the time uh, had been asked to move on, and they asked um, King Oliver to bring a band in, and he didn't want to come in. And Jimmy McHugh, the famous songwriter, uh, suggested they audition Ellington, and uh, in fact he insisted they did, and his judgment proved correct. Ellington got the job and was there for many, many years. Now, uh, one of the first shows he did, featuring music composed by Dorothy Fields and Jimmy McHugh, was called Blackbirds of 1928. Here's a medley of uh, the tunes. Some of them you'll recognise, they became great standards, particularly I Can't Give You Anything But Love, and that, that's probably been recorded by hundreds of people. <laughs> You're gonna lose your papa, so let those funny people smile. How can they be a virgin isle? Digga digga doo, digga doo doo. Digga digga doo, digga doo. 
Everybody put on style Thompson Society line the aisle Magnolia's wedding day Magnolia's wedding day See them darkies dropping down Down, 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 down Cause it's Magnolia's wedding day Not slow, look at him go He's gonna start his style Maggie sighs at the look in his eye He's on a winner and his numbers up Take your partner, sway and swing Rollick, frolic, dance and sing Cause it's Magnolia's wedding day Frontline shared introducing the tunes played on the night. Bob Gilbert provided some comic relief, fondly remembered by those who were there on the night. Bob was always happy to have a laugh at his own expense. Right, well, the next tune we have for you, consulting my list, it's a. Assaulting your list? Assaulting my list, yes. It's a tune uh, all to do with the young Duke Ellington, and I think it's a fairly descriptive title of Duke in his early days. It's called Flaming Youth. I'll assault my list once again. It's just that I um, didn't really want to play this tune. I find it too difficult. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a fast, speedy little number called Jubilee Stomp. Third time, Lucky. <laughs> the tune we'd really like to play for you is a tune... I don't know how to say this. I won't even bother. No, it's a tune called Black Beauty. Right? Yes. Right! <laughs> 
Who said there was no fun in Duke Ellington? The following day, Adrian Jackson wrote in The Age that both the New Harlem Jazz Band and the Storyville All-Stars did a good job of celebrating the influence Ellington exerted on jazz musicians the world over. In the middle of 1981, John By suggested the band should record a live album. John had been involved in the local jazz scene as a trumpeter, band leader and promoter. I became interested in jazz when I was about 14, I think, um, listening to Jazz As You Like It on 3XY that I could get on my crystal set radio from at, when I was living uh, in the country. So when I came down to Melbourne, I joined the brass band at Sandringham and they gave me a cornet. I wasn't particularly good, but I persevered with it. I just, I had this goal to play in a real jazz band and I was very driven. So I finally... Um, hooked up with Brian Cadd at Hyatt High School. We we had a few little sessions at my place and he would just play the very basic stuff and he'd, he'd notate music out for me that I could get going on. And we slowly um, added a few other people to our little group and we formed the Beale Street Jazz Band when I was about 15 years of age. And then the Beale Street Jazz Band became quite popular with the young kids around uh, the Hyatt, Sandringham, uh, Mentone area. So at the age of 15, I hired a hall and started my own dance called Beale Street Jazz Club. So after that band, I uh, decided to go more commercial and formed the Bay City Jazz Band. And I actually advertised for some musicians. I got on to Alan Zavod, the piano player who later toured the world with Zappa and had played in a, a number of very big bands over the years. And then at one stage, I think after that, I did another few things. And then I thought, when I listened to bands like the New Harlem Jazz Band and some of the bands playing around Melbourne, the Red Onions, John Hawes, the Yarra Yarras, I thought, we're never going to be in this league with me out the front of this band. I, I just... I don't have that sort of talent. My talent is better behind the scenes. So uh, that's when I decided to go into record production. Uh, I was running a business called Kinderplay at the time and doing quite a lot of children's records. And I did have contacts with some studios, particularly Bruce Adley Sound Studios in North Melbourne and Dex Audio. And I suppose one of my favorite bands was always the New Harlem Jazz Band. So I used to go to Athol's Abbey down at the Casa de Manana, or Casa Bananas. I had been doing some work at Adley Studios that introduced me to EMI Records, and uh, EMI said to me, look, if some of your children's records are quite releasable on EMI, and if you come up with anything else, you can present them to us for release with EMI. And distribution was everything in the record business. So I approached the new, uh, the new Harlem, I think Chris Ludwig was leading it at the time, and suggested that we did a, a live album in the studio. Athol's Abbey was not suitable for recording. You couldn't have taken engineers in there and done it properly. But I liked the idea of a live audience for that band. So I suggested to Chris that we could take our own audience in. Each member of the band 
I was given the right to say 10 people to be in the audience, then we can control the audience because we know who they are. More to the point, I can control the audience. Uh, and we're not going to have any problems with people going uh, astray while we're recording. Live before a recorded audience was recorded in one session at Bruce Adderley Sound Studios on August the 3rd, 1981. Jelly Roll Morton's Sidewalk Blues, one of the many classic jazz tunes in the band's repertoire. I asked the audience could they hold off on the applause after each number for three seconds so that in post-production we could decide whether it was a live audience recording or a studio recording. We had that option without doing tricks and we were recording on 
analog two inch tape. So we didn't have all the tricks available that the digital formats provide. There are three Ellington tunes on the album, including the beautiful Blues I Love to Sing. recording session went remarkably well, I feel. We uh, achieved uh, an album in one session. It was a terrific recording. I'm very proud of it. I took it to, uh, to EMI up in Sydney, and they said, absolutely, we'll release it. And so uh, we decided to make it, to call the album live, 
before a recorded audience. Roland Harvey had done some work for me, some children's work for me, and I asked Roland, would he, he was in the audience, would he be prepared to do me a cover? Uh, what I wanted was the, the band depicted in cartoon characters, but looking, you could actually recognise them from the drawing, but the audience were cardboard cutouts. They're a recorded audience. And he came up with a marvellous cover. Neil Orchard sings I'm Crazy About My Baby, written by Alexander Hill and Fats Waller. My baby, my baby's crazy about me Mr. Cupid was the teacher That's the reason we agree I'm crazy about my baby My baby's crazy about me Parson, get that book out ready in your hand Keep it steady Look out and you'll understand It's an A1 combination We're the perfect he and she I'm crazy about my baby My baby's crazy about me
a memorable record launch was held at the Grain Store Tavern on November the 24th. And John Barr had given away free tickets to various radio stations and uh, so it was uh, advertised for free all around Melbourne and the queue was as far as the eye could see outside the grain store on Pink Street. It was packed out and it was a great launch. Jeff Brooks from the State Cave and Channel 9 phone was there and Ricky May came, the great singer. And Ricky was a friend of Jeff Brooks and and, uh, they had a table. New Harlem weren't the only entertainment on the night. Little big band, these guys kneeling down, pretending to be three-foot midgets with their music stands, playing kazoos and uh, in the Glenn Miller style. It was wonderful. As the warm-up band, we had Vince Jones play. Now, this was a wonderful thing to have Vince Jones warm up the audience for the fabulous new Harlem Jazz Band. At at Vince's album, we had the same launch venue, but we couldn't afford the new Harlem to play at at Vince's uh, launch. I'm sorry about that. This time, album copies were available and sold well. Overall, the response to the record was good. That record went on to be uh, the highest-selling jazz record in Australia for that year. And it was also the in-flight jazz music on Qantas flights, which my mother was quite proud of, because <laughs> when she came out to Australia to see me, 300 people on that plane knew that her son was playing banjo on that track. Good old mum. <laughs> Soon after the recording of Live Before a Recorded Audience, the band was asked to take part in some more recording, this time for the soundtrack of a film. Bruce Meaton, who had composed the scores for many films, including Picnic at Hanging Rock, wanted New Harlem to record music for a new film about gangster Squizzy Taylor. The film's cast included David Atkins as Squizzy and Jackie Weaver. The band had recorded music for the theme of The Last of the Knuckleman for Bruce in 1979. New Harlem recorded eight tunes for the film at Alan Eaton's Sound Studios late in 1981. Dave Hetherington and John Ellis joined the band on several numbers and a trio comprising Dave Hetherington, John Withers and Alan Stott also recorded music for the film. The soundtrack was released on an album around the same time as the release of the film. Here's New Harlem, Dave Hetherington and the orchestra playing the theme from Squizzy Taylor.
Bruce saying, I'd like the band to do this. I'd like just to write down a, a melody line and the band to do the arrangements on, on it, you know, which is what we did. And it, it turned, turned out really, really well. Working with Bruce was kind of strange because we did most of the work. <laughs> but I, I loved it. I thought it was just fantastic to be able to um, <clears throat> go to that effort and, and, and just nail those songs because uh, some of them were pretty tricky in terms of technique. Thank you. 
The arrangements that we we did, Bruce was really, really very, you know, he was really happy with. And a lot of that music was used right throughout the film as, as background music. Plus we got one part where we sat down, <laughs> sat down and played. Uh, the first time I played with a, um, a bass sax in the band as well. And then that, 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 that amazing, you know, the, the, the shooting of the scene in Collingwood Town Hall was just, that was such a, so, I don't know, it was just really good to be part of that sort of stuff. It was very exciting. And as well as provide music, the band appeared in a big scene in the film, a dance attended by Squizzy at the Collingwood Town Hall. New Harlem, Dave Hetherington and John Ellis appeared on the stage as the band for a dance scene. Filming took most of the day, with the band dressed and groomed for the occasion, including haircuts provided by a barber familiar with a short back and sides located in a back street in Richmond. The band played along with their own recording of the Fitzroy Push, which featured John Ellis on the rarely seen bass saxophone. In 1982 was a busy year for the band. 
the Squizzy Taylor film was released with a function at the grain store. Friday and Saturday nights at the Abbey, Saturday afternoons at the Limerick Arms, and Thursday nights at Alexander's. As well, there were quite a few one-off gigs, such as the band's third prom concert in the Great Hall at the National Gallery in March. On Sunday the 4th of July, New Harlem teamed up with the Storyville Band again to present another concert at Melbourne Hall, this time a tribute to Louis Armstrong. On a busy weekend in November, on Saturday the 5th, the band performed up and down the Yarra River on the PS Sayona for the official opening of Melbourne's Concert Hall. The Age reported that New Harlem was escorted by a flotilla of small decorated boats. Early the next day, the band flew to Sydney to perform for the Campbelltown Jazz Club at the Fisher's Ghost Jazz Convention. Like the rest of the band at the time, Chris Ludwig had a real job. He was an engineer at the Aeronautical Research Laboratory. In December 1982, he was sent to England for 18 months by his employers as part of a program to broaden his experience. The band farewelled Chris at the Limerick Arms. And uh, have a big round of applause for Chris Ludwig, who's leading us. Unfortunately, this is the last chance to hear him down here. And uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to him. I hope you enjoyed the band. Don't forget, we'll still be playing. We'll still be around. And uh, we'll still be presenting you some of this kind of music. So whatever, whatever you do, don't forget the New Harlem Jazz Band. In the meantime... Have a pleasant afternoon. Don't forget the Yonex Jazz Band start playing here at around about six, seven, February. February. I start playing around here in February. No, after after Christmas, the the Limerick will be closing and will be starting up again in February. So uh, keep your ears to the ground, keep uh, your eye to the paper, and all that sort of stuff, and find out when we're next on. In the meantime, thank you for putting up with us. Those, those of you who are regulars, you've been fantastic. Great support, and we've really enjoyed playing to you. You've been a fantastic audience. And in the meantime, good night, uh, afternoon, evening. What time is it? We'll see you later. Thanks for coming along. Until next time, goodbye. Here we go. Caledonia, Caledonia.
You've been listening to episode six of Who Walks In, the story of the New Harlem Jazz Band. In the next episode, the band finds a replacement for Chris Ludwig, but he doesn't own a trombone. And they get down with the kids with some television appearances. Who walks in when I walk out? Who gives you that hearty high? Baby, who's that who I'm talking about? You can learn more about the band and contact us at whowalksin.com. Look forward to hearing from you. This has been a Wasting Time production. Thank you.